It's good to be with you guys this morning. I'm glad to be here. And uh, as Mia has been calling it, uh, Hosanna Sunday, Hosanna Day, which I think is great because Palm Sunday, you're like, does that mean we have to go to Florida? Does that mean I got to be a snowbird? Hosanna Day, that's what it was. Hosanna Day. Why are we focusing on the palm branches? Let's focus on the king, the king right? Amen. Well, this morning, we're not going to be in Genesis. And surprisingly, we're not going to be in Matthew either, or Mark, or Luke, or John. Uh, it's not a typical message. Uh, forgive me if this comes off as a little bit of a soapbox. Maybe it's something that I needed this morning, but uh, I know God is going to use it because he's faithful and he, uh, he's assured me that I haven't gone too astray with the message this morning. Uh, but sincerely, uh, we're going to be in the book of Micah. And we're going to look through selections from each chapter, uh, well, from most of the chapters today. Micah has been uh, a book that I've been in this past week. I finished Shams, and I started reading Proverbs. I'm like, I don't know, Lord, where should I go? And I just came across Micah. I'm like, I'm going to read Micah. That's not really one you'd think of for a devotional reading in the morning, but it's been fantastic. Um, but Micah was a quote-unquote minor prophet. You know, we talk about these guys. They're called minor prophets because they only have a couple pages in the Bible. Sometimes you have to look through. Uh, it's after Jonah, Jonah, Micah, and Nahum, uh, a couple books from the New Testament. Uh, but, you know, we skip over a lot because the pages are so thin, and we go from Psalms, Proverbs, all of a sudden we're in Matthew, and no, we forget that Micah's even there. But even though he's a minor prophet, as with all the minor prophets, none of them were minor to the Lord, and they all had major words from the Lord. Minor prophets, but with a major word. And again, I think we all too often miss what God is saying through the part of his word that is short, or through someone we don't hear often or even know about. Uh, again, nothing wrong with conferences, nothing wrong with having a large church, but I think a lot of times when you go to a conference, who do you hear from? You hear from the people that everyone knows about. You hear from the people that have the largest congregations. Again, God's used them, and they have a great word from the Lord. But I think with that, and there's nothing wrong with that, we sometimes tend to discount those who maybe aren't as well-known or maybe don't have the largest flock and maybe have been serving faithfully for years on end in a tiny church in the middle of Kentucky, but God is using them. You know, we tend to, we tend to put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, so to speak, when it comes to the word of the Lord, right? Because some of God's strongest words, some of his deepest truths, come through the men and women of God that the world and even the church know very little about. You know, who do we listen to? Who do we listen to on the radio? Who do we listen to on TV? <laughs> Turn off the TV. Uh, who do we listen to on the internet? Who do we listen to in our lives? You know, what do we regard as the word of the Lord? Do we regard it as the word of the Lord because it sounds good, because it's put together well, because it's got a uh, 12-piece band? Or do we regard it as the word of the Lord because it actually is the word of the Lord and because it's true and it stood the test of time? You know, does it have to come from a particular vessel? The usual vessel, your daily bread. You know, like my devotions this week, usual vessels of going through certain books in the morning. Well, Mike is not one of those. Are we willing to break out and visit the Word of God that is not on every sign, that is not in every little wooden thing you can put up in your home or everything that my wife paints? You know, we've been trying to give other verses that we come across that we find good to be, make signs out of that don't get all the attention because uh, we focus on, not that they're bad, but I think we need the whole counsel of God. You know, that uh, isn't in every book, but somewhere between what we know of the Old Testament and what we know of the New. You know, I think we all have a working knowledge of the entire Bible, 
But I think sometimes between that working knowledge, if we come in and we stop and smell Micah's roses, so to speak, we might pick up on something. And I think sometimes we don't like to hear the word of God, just like the people in the old, because it's hard, because it's to the point. It's a short word because God knows if I, if I had to expound this for chapter upon chapter, no one would be able to stand, right? But God, this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you that God, uh, 2,000 and, and some odd years ago, Lord, you were uh, coming into Jerusalem. Lord, you were on a donkey. Lord, people praised you and, and called you for who you were. Hosanna, the King of David, the Son of David, uh, the Messiah, God. And God, yet you knew, you knew that in a week's time, they would be the same ones shouting to crucify you. They didn't quite understand your plan. They didn't quite fully grasp who you were. And, and God, in a way, how could they um, if they haven't had your word and hadn't looked to your word for what it really said? as opposed to what they wanted it to say. But God, you're gracious. You forgave them and you forgave us. And as we'll see today, even through Micah, at the end, you have a, a good promise and word for them as well. And God, we love you, Lord. Speak to us, we pray. Holy Spirit, forgive our sin. And uh, God, make us new today, we ask. as only you can. Hosanna. Amen. So let's turn to Micah chapter 1, and we'll read uh, the first 13 verses here together. Uh, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split like wax before the fire. Like waters poured down on a steep place, all this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field, places for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones into the valley and I will uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with the fire. All her idols shall lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot, and they shall return to the pay of a harlot. Therefore I will wail and howl, I will go stripped the naked, I will make a wailing like a jackal, and uh, a mourning like the ostriches, for her, her wounds are incurable, for it has come to Judah, it has come to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all in Beth Aphra. Roll yourself in the dust. Pass by in naked shame, you inhabitant of Shafir. The inhabitant of Zanan does not go out. Beth Azel mourns. Its place to stand is taken away from you. For the inhabitant of Maroth pined for good, but disaster came down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. O inhabitant of Lachish, harness the chariot to the swift steeds. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. For the transgressions of Israel were found in you. You know, this is Micah. Uh, he's preaching in the time of uh, the kings, Jothan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. These guys weren't the best folks if we uh, dig into it a little bit. Uh, but this was concerning both Jerusalem and Samaria, you know, the capital area, the capital city, the capital region. And it says that the Lord is coming out of his place. The Lord is coming out of his place. Well, what's his place? Obviously, God's place is heaven. God's place is the throne. God's place is a place of holiness and of ruling and of reigning. But it says that God's coming out of his place here. And we think of, you know, even what we just read last week where uh, the Lord shows up with a couple angels to Abraham. 
and he's walking on the way to Sodom, you know, and we find out uh, next time we're in it that uh, he was coming down to hear the case against Sodom and Gomorrah that had been brought before him. And he came down personally, hey, sweetheart, he came down personally to see what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. He say, okay, well, if judgment's going to come, I need to go down there first. And, and I, I'm reminded of that when I read this, that God got out of his place because of what was going on here. You know, what causes God to get up? What causes God to get out of his place, out of his throne, and come down to earth? You know, we're talking about Easter. This is the culmination of Jesus coming down to earth, right? Well, it says it's wickedness done by his people. I mean, all people really are God's people, right? God created everyone, but he has a special people. The, the, uh, the Israelites in the Old Testament and the fulfillment of that, uh, the Christians uh, in, in the world now. But God will not stand for wickedness done in his house. God will not sit by long enough, just like I will not sit by too long if I'm downstairs at work and I hear some commotion going on upstairs. If it, you know, my wife is doing her best to handle it and the kids aren't listening, well, I'm not going to stand for this going on in my house. Not only do I have to work and it's bothering me because I'm <laughs> trying to focus on do something, but sincerely, I can't sit by and let wickedness go in my house. How much more, and not that my kids do anything that's that bad, uh, but sincerely, God can't do the same. You know, people say, well, God hasn't come back yet and why does God allow these things to happen? Well, he is for a time, but he's coming back. And his judgment is going to be swift. You know, this is a picture here of the last days when every mountain will melt and the valleys will rise up. You know, it talks about in Revelation when the blood and the valley of Megiddo will be as high as the bridle on a horse's mouth. That God's judgment is going to cut everyone down and it's going to be bloody because God is not standing for wickedness anymore. But it was also literal for that time. You know, it wasn't the end of the world yet. It will be soon for us, I believe. But it would be the end of these people if they continue in this wickedness. You know, if you're God's people, he's not going to let you go as long in wickedness as he might someone who's in the world because you're his child. You know, there's a kid going down, down the street, you know, I might eventually call the cops on him, but if it's my kid doing that wickedness, they're going to get that much sooner because they're my kid and they're my responsibility. You know, we all know the verse, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that what? All should come to repentance. That when God's judgment comes, he always brings a warning of it first because he doesn't want people to go through it. He wants people to repent. He wants people to be saved and restored. Ecclesiastes 5.8 says, If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter, for high official watches over high official and higher officials are over them. That man, this is a verse for today, I think. We look around and we see oppression, injustice, all sorts of wickedness in every place. And sometimes we marvel, and go, how could this happen? Well, people see. And unfortunately, wickedness has gotten to the points of pretty much all forms of man's government these days. But you know what? There's a higher official over them. As Romans talks about, that God is even over all the officials of the world. And even if the world officials... Uh, give down laws and decrees that are unjust and, and give leniency to the worst perpetrators and don't bring justice to the victim, God sees. God sees. Because God not only sees the wickedness done on earth, but also he's not going to put up with it forever. And that's what this uh, message of Micah was. That this wickedness is, is going to come to an end and God's going to deal with it. 
You know, this week is Palm Sunday. We have the triumphal entry. You know, if you want a real Palm Sunday message, uh, you can go read Matthew 21, uh, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. Uh, you can just Google triumphal entry, and it'll give you all those specific uh, words, or it's in the notes if you download them later. But, you know, everyone thought that Jesus was coming to reign on earth, that he was coming to overthrow the Roman oppression, he was coming to overthrow and be a, a good king after a line of bad kings. You know, we see how Herod was in Israel. But God could not and would not reign over a wicked kingdom. Wickedness, sin, and death had to be dealt with first. Before Jesus could take his throne, he had to take the cross. Because the cross was the culmination of God's judgment and God's mercy in a single event. That God poured out all of his judgment on Jesus, but God also showed us all of his mercy through that event. You know, that event of massive judgment for Jesus means massive righteousness and forgiveness for us. I'm going to read uh, this devotion from A.W. Tozer from yesterday, I believe, the 24th. Um, he quotes Psalm 23, 6, says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, Mercy is one of the attributes of God, not something God has, but something God is. If mercy were something God had, conceivably God might mislead or he might use it up. You know, if mercy was a commodity, perhaps, you know, heaven would run out, you know, is what he's saying. But since it is something that God is, we must remember that it is uncreated. The mercy of God did not come into being. It always was. For mercy is what God is, and God is eternal and infinite. While both the Old Testament and the New Testament declare the mercy of God, the Old Testament says more than four times as much about mercy than the New some have the idea that the Old Testament is law and judgment, and the New Testament is all grace. What is not factored into this is that God never changes. What he was in the Old Testament, he is in the New Testament. And uh, even today, he is the same God, and being the same God and not changing, he must therefore be the same in the Old as he is in the New, and the same in the New as he is in the Old. Resting on the mercy of God is resting upon God himself. God is merciful. Even when he brings judgment, his judgment always has a hint of mercy in it. Even when God judged the world in the flood, he what? He saved Noah and his family. He gave us another chance. But better or more powerful than any other event, anything you or I could do, good or bad, stands no chance in the sight of that eternal work of Jesus at the cross. You know, sometimes we think, man, how can God forgive me? The work of the cross is greater. The work that you did evil, the work that you did good, it pales in comparison to the work Jesus did on that, even just that final week, even that final day, carrying that cross up the hill to Calvary and letting them nail him there. That work is eternal. That work is still going. That work is working in our lives. It's going to work in our children's lives. It's going to work in as many generations until the Lord comes back. It'll never stop working. And even after Jesus comes back, that work works for eternity. Jesus bears those scars for eternity and we're in heaven. Why? Because of that work. That work does not cease to stop from working. You know, we work and we want six o'clock, I'm done for the day. It's Saturday. You're going to pay me extra to come in on a holiday. But the cross doesn't stop working. The cross does not take a holiday. 
You know, these people, uh, it was affecting their lands as a result of sin. They had these high places, these groves where they would go to worship. If you study the Old Testament and really just the perversion that was involved in these things. Uh, they had idols that they would worship. I mean, again, they have the living God and yet they still say, eh, I don't want that. I'm going to go make my own thing and do my own thing over here and worship something that they've made. Uh, we laugh and we scoff at that sometimes, but I think if we step back and take a look at the way we live our lives and, and what we put as priority in our lives, um, and we'd realize we probably have more idols than we'd like to admit. And I think that's why we don't like to come to the prophets a lot, because they point out the idolatry. They point out, like in Corinthians, man, you guys have got it messed up. And I think a lot of times we don't, we don't like to come to that. And I'm not saying that you guys are uh, being idolatrous or overly idolatrous, but I think, honestly, as we look, um, it's good to get a strong word from the Lord. It put us in our place and get us on the right track again, even if we're on the right track, to keep us on that right track. But Matthew Henry, his commentary says that this was the most populous and pompous place. That this place had a lot of people. This place had a lot of pride, a lot of clout, that they were, oh, it's so wonderful. But God says, no, no, no. You're the farthest from this farthest from this and we look at our world today and look at the places that say that they're the most wonderful that they're the most populous and well when you really take it into account and what's really going on you you cut back the veneer you step back two feet and and really consider the effects of the actions the effects of this tolerance and other things and you say no no no, that's not good that's wicked because the reality of sin is that it is shameful and it does reveal your nakedness. Like he says, I'm, forget it. I'm going through here naked and straight and going forward because that's what sin does. We remember in the garden, what was the first effect? We don't have any clothes. We're not covered. We're exposed. That's what sin does. And the sick thing about sin today is that people are so given over to it that they found themselves exposed by it. And now they need to continue to sinning to say that their exposure is not really exposure. That it's okay to walk around, you know, without your clothes on in the city because equal rights and stuff. Well, no, it's exposure, it's sin. And here, as one of the commentaries said, that God's people might have thought uh, it was unfair, that this judgment was unfair on them. You know, they didn't want to listen, and we don't like to read hard words of God to them. You know, a friend and I were talking a while back. We all tend to think that we're the Church of Philadelphia. Oh, we're all the church fit. We're all brotherly love. We have a little strength. We have held on to the word of God. And maybe we are. are we, maybe we're not. Maybe we're more like Laodicea. Maybe we're more ready to be spit out by God if we're really taking a full stoke of, uh, full token of what we're really about, what we really believe in. Um, you know, or even uh, Thyatira had Jezebel, false prophetess, in her midst, and God condemned them and said, you got to get rid of the teachings of this lady because it's not so. It's not true. And how many teachers are in the Word of God today that God would say, it's time to get rid of. They're really leading you astray. Let's go on to Micah 2 and read 2, 1 through 7. You know, and I think this is a good message for today because it is Palm Sunday but we don't want to see God as the king we want him to be. We want God to be the king that he needs to be in our lives. And we want to see him for who he is. And I think sometimes we need to take an honest look at the word of God to, to see who he is. But Micah 2 says, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds 
At morning light they practice it because it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields and take them by violence. Look at what's going on in South Africa right now. Also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, nor shall you walk haughtily, for this is an evil time. In that day one shall take up a proverb against you, and lament with a bitter lamentation, saying, We are utterly destroyed. He has changed the heritage of my people. He has removed it from me. To a turncoat he has divided our fields. Therefore, you will have no one to determine boundaries by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Remember that the priests were the one who determined the land, and God divided the land amongst the tribes. But do not prattle, you say, to those who prophesy, so you shall not prophesy to you. They shall not return insult for insult. You who are named the house of Jacob, and this is the spirit of the Lord restricted. Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? You know, God, God has a message here for the people. He talks about, oh, the evil and their plans, always devising and scheming upon their beds. Was God talking about Congress here? <laughs> Was he talking about all these laws that are being rushed through without time for the people to weigh in on them uh, by the people who supposedly represent them? Uh, well, maybe. But sincerely, wicked people love to just consider and scheme and, and stay up all night. How can we do this? And what can we do? And let's go do it and figure it out on our own. And, you know, even the, even the, the things that are claimed to be good by the world that tell you to, um, to get things for yourself, to make opportunities happen. In some way, I get it, but in some way, I think really it's, it's wickedness. It's you're trying to force your own destiny, make your own will happen, and no matter the expense, without consulting God, even even if that's just the only thing. We, a lot of times we do things that we don't consult the Lord and what, what He would have us do. And I think if we just slow down a minute and consulted Him first, He might say, Oh, this really is a waste of time. I can, I can spend my life on something far better. But Proverbs 1 10 through 19 says, My son, if sinners entice you, Consent thou not. Proverbs 1, 10 through 19. If they say, come with us, let us lay in wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall all find precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. They sound like a socialist to me. Uh, Anyway, but my son, walk now not in the way with them. Refrain your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil. And make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, and they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy for gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. The wicked try and set traps for others, and sometimes they do catch other people in the traps. But when you live a lifestyle of setting traps, eventually you're going to fall in to that trap. When you live a lifestyle of manipulation, eventually you're going to find yourself manipulated uh, without realizing it. In the end, even if that doesn't happen on earth in the, in the way, when you come to the end, there's going to be a big trap for you. It's called the abyss, the lake of fire, and you've walked yourself right into it. But Proverbs 4, 14 to 18 says, uh, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. You know, don't even play around with the stuff that the wicked want you to do. For they sleep not, except they have done mischief. 
and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. You think about all these movements of this day and age where people can't sleep and they have to walk out and do these other things and, and create a hashtag and, and do everything to take someone else down. For what? For what? Is it really for righteousness? Maybe it sounds righteous. But I think when you dig a little deeper, you might find that maybe it is, but maybe their motive isn't righteous. You know, like this, a lot of times, okay, well, I'm not necessarily against having a walkout, but you hear about these kids who have a walkout, and then they go trash a Walmart. So these kids protesting police action, but there's a car just trying to get by, and they won't let the car get by, and the car just wants to get by, and they break some other person's car. I don't really think you're protesting. I think you're acting out your little selfish desires to act up and not have any authority over you. I think that's what that is. I can't say that these days. You'll lose your YouTube channel. You won't appear on CNN with that viewpoint, will you? Only one viewpoint's allowed these days. And it's the wicked one. But basically, back here in, in this time, they were saying to the prophets, don't prophesy. Stop prophesying. Stop saying this stuff. Stop saying the word of God. This isn't what God really says. We don't want to hear it. It's not true. It doesn't jive with our worldview. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 3 and 5 says, I charge thee therefore before God and Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at the appearing of his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. It only took a week in Jesus' time. Sound doctrine, Jesus is the king. A week later, crucify him. But after their own lust, they shall heap up to themselves teachers, having itching ears. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, and make full proof of your ministry. You know, Paul also says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, uh, 22, he says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all the appearance of evil. Not only go in the way, don't go in the way of the wicked of evil, but don't even like let your life appear to be evil to someone. But he says, don't quench the spirit. Pray, worship, listen to prophesy. If God's given you the gift of prophecy, prophesy. I mean. God's coming back in six months, in two days. I, I mean, sincerely, speak the word of God that God has given you. Speak it to other people. Quench not the spirit. I think we quench the spirit. Because, if we're honest, the spirit wants to go and do a lot of things that we don't really want to get up and off the couch to go do. And God's saying, go do it. It's better. Don't let yourself sit in this trap. Get up. I freed you. Let's go on. In Micah 3, 1 through 9. It says, Hear now, heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, who flay their skin from them, break their bones and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron? This could be a good children's song, ministry song, right? No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Then they will cry to the Lord. And he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time. Because they have been evil in their deeds. 
Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. You know, we're going to fight those who don't put money in our pockets. Therefore, you shall have night without vision. You shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. You know, one of the largest problems Israel had before Jesus came was 400 years of silence. No word from God for the high priest. You're supposed to hear all the time. No word from God. 400 years. And then Jesus shows up. And they don't want to hear it. They don't want to accept him. They want him to come on their terms. You think 400 years of silence might make you stop and think, what are we doing wrong? Do we not hear right? You know, when we don't hear God in our lives for a while, sometimes he's just making us patient, helping us learn, and other times it's, well, what have we been doing with our lives? I guarantee you, if you've been living a life that's sinful, the silence is due to your sin. Because he probably was shouting at you to stop and you quench the spirit, or I quench the spirit. I've been there, but you know what? Just like as we'll see at the end of Micah, God doesn't want to let it stop there. Just because God's been silent doesn't mean that he wants to remain silent to you. He just wants you to be in a place where you're ready to hear. So he's not going to keep casting his pearls before swine, so to speak. He wants to wait until you're ready to hear. You know, Jesus, Jesus was the ultimate prophet. You know, the calling of a prophet was to say hard things, to endure hard things. Your very life was a picture of God's message. You see these guys having to lay on their side all year and do weird stuff. Because their life, very life was a picture. And Jesus was the ultimate picture. You know, he was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. In Matthew 11, 20 through 24, what does he say? He, then he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Sounds a lot like the Old Testament God here in the New Testament Jesus. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. You know, the late Billy Graham always mentioned that. Man, if God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And he does, if he doesn't judge us. And, and I think judge, judgment's already here. We've already experienced the abandonment judgment of God, where we've said, God, let go. I mean, God's still graciously holding on. The molecules of America still exist, because God's holding on. But as we see, the more we push God out, the more the country falls apart. It's not the gun's fault. It's not conservatives' fault. It's not the fact that we used to have closed borders and we used to enforce our laws and that's why things aren't working out. It's because we kicked God out. It's not going to work. It cannot last, guys. This country will not stand. Hope you're listening, NSA, but the country is not going to last if we continue to turn from God and push him out. It will collapse. The country, they're so concerned about worrying about what every civilian is doing and listening to what we're all doing and reading our emails... Because they're out of control. Because they don't acknowledge who is in control. And 
I, you know, I, I don't want Cottagers America. I want there to be a, a, a repentance and a change. I want America to go back to God and repent. But I don't know that they will. Maybe they will. I pray that they will. But I'm prepared for judgment to come on this country. I'm not prepared for... I'm, I'm calling for the rapture, praying for the rapture. Come soon, Jesus. But man, it just because the rapture is going to happen in our lifetime doesn't mean that judgment's not going to happen before it to America. There's nothing in the Bible that says that we're not going to experience these things. In fact, it says that we are going to go through certain tribulations. We're not going to go through the great tribulation. But man, how can you think that America's going to last any longer like this? What other country lasts this long with this much tearing? That's been gracious, the grace of God already that it's lasted this long. You know, I have to, we were watching some clip of some fighting in Syria, civil war, and I was kind of like, there's Middletown, 2022. You know, like, why do we think that it couldn't happen here? It is happening here, guys. You know, God wouldn't give a hard message if he didn't want them to do the hard thing and repent. If God didn't want people to repent, he would say, okay, forget it. I told you 10 years ago, I'm just going to judge you now. But God always comes and brings that last judgment. You know, stop or I'll shoot. 10 times, 20 times, stop or I'll shoot. I've told you 30 times, you're coming at me with a knife. It's the only thing I can do. Nothing to protest here. Whew, soapbox. All right, it's just, the wickedness just blows my mind. But I guess I shouldn't marvel, right, if I listened to that verse before. But verse 8 says, But truly, Micah says, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. That's pretty bold. Micah's giving a message that no one wants to hear. That's a hard message that's proclaiming judgment. Micah says, truly, I am full of the Holy Spirit. You guys aren't full of the Holy Spirit, you false prophets. But I've got the Spirit of the Lord, so you better listen. You know, Micah knew where his fire was coming from. He knew he was stoked by heaven and the Holy Spirit himself. He knew that the fires that these guys were making were just to warm themselves and warm those around them with what they wanted to hear. But he knew that his fire was from heaven and it was a cleansing fire and it was going to have its way, and that no other fire could stop it. And we must let God, the Holy Spirit, burn in us. That doesn't mean swing from the chandelier or bark like a dog. The Bible says nothing about that. The Bible says to be full of the Holy Spirit and preach like the words you're saying are the very oracles of God. Because guess what? If it's the Bible, it is the very oracles of God. It is the very prophecy of God. It is the very word of God. It is the very truth that the world needs to hear. And we are all timid in our flesh, like Timothy in the New Testament, but God, with his Holy Spirit, can use us, even in that timidity, even in that fear, even in that quiet life. That'll be a fire that burns and that others will see. Because the world needs that fire. Now, the world's clamoring for help, for health, for vitality, for life. And they're not finding it. They're finding death and they just want to usher in more death. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 16 through 18, he says, For though I preach the gospel... I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel, for I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Truthfully, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Paul's saying, I don't preach just because I want to preach. Paul didn't wake up one morning and say, oh, I think I'm going to go preach the gospel. Paul was confronted on the road by Jesus. He was given blindness. He was knocked off his high horse. He was brought away to a place. He went away in the wilderness for a while to really reconcile all these things with the Lord and the scriptures and what he knew. He came out knowing this is all I can do with my life is preach the gospel. It's not that I necessarily want to is what he's saying, but he's saying, I have to. This is the only thing I can do. And it's not a reward or a payment. I don't need payment from you. If anything, I need to pay you guys to hear it is what he's saying. 
Because his only reward is just that whatever was given to him was then coming out of his life. And that should be our only reward as, as believers, is that whatever was given to us at the cross of Jesus by his Holy Spirit would then come out of our lives. It's not that we would have a church with a lot of people. It's not that we would have a ministry with our name on it. It's not that we'd have a bank account and a private jet so we could fly around to speaking engagements. It's that the grace of God and the mercy of God given to us at the cross could go out and affect other people's lives that they might not face the judgment of Jesus Christ because we did not face the judgment of Jesus Christ. And the reward is in that, to be a part of God's kingdom, to minister grace, to minister mercy unto the hearers, and to encourage believers, to encourage non-believers to come to him. That's the reward. If we're seeking any other reward in life, we missed it. It may be a good reward, but it's not an eternal reward. Jeremiah 28 through 11 says, For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because of the word of the Lord was made a reproach in me and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. For I had heard the defaming of many fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my familiars watched for me to stop, saying, Peradventure he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge upon him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. Jeremiah wanted to give up because he kept having to give a hard word. No one wanted to listen to it. Even his friends turned against him and wanted him to fail. And he says, All right, I'll be quiet for a while. But he, he couldn't. The truth of God was too powerful in his eyes and in his life for him to stop. And I pray that that would be for us too, that the truth of what Jesus did on the cross for each one of us would be too powerful for us to sit idly by for too long. It would be too powerful for us to keep our mouths shut. And when we see the injustice in, in a, 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 a province and we marvel and we go, no, it's time for me to step up and do the right thing. It's time for me to step out and time for me to share the word of God. No matter what it costs me, no matter what it costs my family, no matter where I go, what I say or what I do, because what is this life anyway? It wouldn't be a life if I were to shut my mouth and not let the word of God go forth. You know, other people might say, be quiet, don't share those things, or don't go so crazy. But man, how can I not go crazy when I consider the reality of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, walking down that road with our cross on his back, going up there to forgive us? How can we live a normal life after that? And now it's kind of easy because America's falling apart. You know, the normal life maybe you would have wanted, so it's like, we don't, you know, the reward is not as great when it's like the options aren't as strong, you know? It's like, oh, I could have made $10,000 or not made any money at all. It's not a big deal. Or, you know, but when someone offers you a job for a million dollars and you turn it down, that's a big deal. But, man, we just need to, to seek the Lord because if, what, what else is there? If we sit back in our eyes with our own lives, what else is there that we can do? Yeah, it's fun to, to remake a kitchen. It's fun to move. It's fun to go out and have fun with the family and do things with friends and play games and stuff. But at the end of the day, what are we living for? Is that it? Am I going to stay here because my friends are here and my family are here and I love them and I don't want to miss them? I was thinking the other night how I'm going to miss you guys so much and like it was really kind of tearing me apart. But it's like at the end of the day, this is what God really has for us, even if it's just for a season. I've, I've got to go. It's, it's worth it because how could I sit back and not go if the Lord is telling me to go? As much as I love you guys, it's like, well, he went to the cross for me. That's my only reason to go. That should be our only reason to go. Whether it's a little thing or a big thing, right? <laughs> Whether it's get down on my knees and give my kid a hug, even if he's being bad, because I know that's what my father does for me. The Word of God must 
get out of us because we must be submitted to us. it. Must, we must be submitted to it, excuse me. We must not hold it captive. You know, how many prophets in the Old Testament were held captive? You know, Paul was captive. Jesus was captive. Jeremiah, all these guys were held captive at some point in their lives. But the Word of God cannot be contained. You know, it cannot be contained. The, the world is trying to close down on the truth and the Word of God. But it's getting out. It's getting out. Even just in the sheer amount of what God does, He can't contain it. We can't even contain it in the Word of God, in the Bible. In John 21, 25, He says, There's so many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. That the Bible is even a truncated, cliff notes version of what God has done and doing. He's done so much. We, we'd be writing all day. We have the pen of a ready writer. We'd have to use the whole ocean, as the song says, to be ink, and the whole sky scroll, and it still wouldn't be enough to write down all the things God is doing and the things God is still doing today. The Holy Spirit has not stopped working. We say that, but man, do we see it? Do we live it? We say, oh yeah, God's working, but, uh, you know, I encourage you, seek him. Seek him to do it and you'll see it. You know, he's probably doing it. We just miss it sometimes, I think. Uh, just like we don't hear the word of God, sometimes we don't see what the word is doing. Um, that's why prayer is important, you know. Spend a little bit extra time to begin to see, even just a fraction of extra time to begin to see more going on. You know why the Holy Spirit hasn't stopped working? Because Jesus hasn't stopped living. It's not that he rose again and went to heaven and, you know, like Lazarus lived for a little while longer. He's, he's still alive. You know, the Father, with that, hasn't stopped being merciful either to all of us. You know, all the world's sin is forgiven. There's a foundation like this wood floor of forgiven sin and we still all walk around in chains. And the world, of course, like Ashley and I were talking, of course it's going to get worse. Of course it's going to get more awful because they've been given the way out and they're not choosing it. So the sin is only going to get worse. It's not like the world walks around and they have no way out. They have a way out. They've been forgiven already. It's not like they need to seek forgiveness or they need to seek it, but it's not like they need to, to obtain or make that forgiveness happen. It's already happened on the cross 2,000 years ago and all they have to do is accept it. And until they accept it, what are you going to do? It's only going to get worse. It's only going to get darker. It's only going to get harder because it's you have the way out. It's like you're choosing to remain in prison. You're choosing to remain captive. You don't have to. I think a lot of times we look at the world and we blame them. Or we curse them. Or say, you're captive and oh, I can't stand your captivity. No, we need to proclaim to them, you're free already. Stop. You have a way out. Not, you need to make your life better. Or why are you like this? Stop being like this. The cross. The cross. It's done. It's forgiven. It's gone. Accept that. Because there's plenty to proclaim, guys. That message, those simple words, like Billy Graham, you know, there's a message about Billy Graham. That's what he proclaimed. This is always simple. It was effective because it was true. Let's go on. Micah 6, 1 through 8 says, Here now, what the Lord says. See, I'm not creative. I just take a verse. But hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. God saying, what have I done wrong? Tell me, please. In the court of law, testify. For I brought you up, out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage 
and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak king of Moab counseled and what Balaam the son of Baor answered him from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? You know, we often complain and contend against God. But in reality, he's probably the one who's got the complaining to do. You know, I've been telling you to do that for 10 years. You just do it, you know. What do we bring before God? You know, I sometimes tell, ask my kids to clean up or do something, and then they'll, like, make me something out of the Legos they're supposed to be cleaning up. I'm like, that's really great, but I really want you to clean up right now. You know, I think it's really good, but, you know, if you did what I asked you to do, it would be more into this gift that you're bringing me. And not that I, you know, don't mind them making me things, but they make really beautiful things. But, like, we talk about Saul. You know, uh, Saul was supposed to get rid of everything, and yet Samuel walks in and goes, what's this? Why did you keep these animals? Why is that king in jail? Like, you're supposed to kill them all. God doesn't delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice. He delights in obedience. That's all. You know, you're going to lose the kingdom now. Or David in the temple. You know, David wanted to build a house for God. And, and Nathan goes, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Do what's in your heart, David. And Nathan's on the way home. Like, yeah, we're going to have a temple. It's going to be awesome. And God goes, you got to go back and tell David that I don't want him to do that. And God says, I've dwelled in a tent the whole time. You know, like we look in the Christophanies. Where was Jesus living before he showed up to Abraham's house? He had to have a place to stay, right? He had a place to go. You know, Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. Fox have holes, birds of the air have nests, but Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. But he didn't want a temple. When he came in, he didn't want a kingdom. When he rode in on that donkey, he didn't say, hey, get my crown, get me a cup, get me a robe, you know. He didn't come in looking for any of those things. And sometimes we try and do these wonderful things for God. And he's just like, go clean your room. You know, God, I'm going to go do this. for. Well, have you done this for your husband or your wife? Have you done this for your neighbor? Have you just been a good employee this week? I don't know. But sincerely, we just need to be obedient. We just need to do what God tells us to do, no matter what it looks like or what it feels like, or even what you know, a false prophet might tell us. You know, Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, Jesus rode in on a donkey. It was a peaceful symbol, but he did that already. And he's coming back on a horse, which is a symbol of war. We're right in between these two, you know, it's not the preakness, but we're right in between these two events here where Jesus comes in peacefully, but he's not coming back peacefully next time, guys. I'm glad that we're prepared for it, but man, we need to let people know. We need to lay down those palm branches, so to speak, before he comes back on that horse. Because is the house of God ready? Have we let him have his triumphal entry into his house today? Into our hearts? Into our time together? In the church? Is his house a house of prayer? Because I think, I know, I know in fact, we'd all find out a lot sooner, like I said before, we don't need to be doing the things we're doing sometimes if we just prayed about it. We could give up on a lot of the programs, practices, and even ministries that we're involved in Maybe they're fine, but maybe God doesn't want you involved in there. Maybe God says, I've got something better for you to be involved in. That's good, but this would be more effective. 
We need to focus on one thing over another. We need to turn away from one thing that perhaps the world loves that the church has adopted for some reason and turn towards the things that God loves. In fact, just turn towards loving God. You know, like I believe it's Pastor John Corson always talks about, you know, love God and do what you want because if you love God, you're going to do what He wants. He was even reading devotional the other day. It's like we so often ask what the will of God is and it's like we should be in a place where we necessarily don't even have to ask it. Like we were talking about last week. I was talking to my friend and he's just like, I don't even know if I need a specific word anymore. It's just I read the whole Bible and it's just obvious what we're supposed to do with our lives. We need to do that daily. We need to take up our cross and follow Him daily. You know, like Jesus says in Luke, you know, that we need to take up our cross and follow Him. We need to lose ourselves. You know, if we try and gain our life, we'll lose it. But if we lose our lives, we'll gain it. We see there that uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's Moses and Elijah, and they knew what was coming. It says that they spoke of his decease on the Transfiguration, which is interesting. He spoke of his exodus, his departure, that the cross was like exodus. Remember the Passover? The angel of death would pass over if they put the blood on the doorpost. And I love that the word there is similar to exodus. You know, the law and the prophets agree and that there was even prophecy on that Mount of Transfiguration. You know, in some way, the triumphal entry was not just about an earthly kingdom. And no, it wasn't about the earthly kingdom. It was about a heavenly one. And that's what the people didn't get. They thought it was about an earthly kingdom. You know, because Jesus, he would get a crown. He would get a crown of thorns a week later. He would get a robe and be soaked in his blood. He would get a throne, but he'd be nailed to it. That was the first place that Jesus took as the kingdom. That in order for him to sit on that throne in heaven, he had to take the throne that we're worthy of, which is the cross. You know, if we're not living in his kingdom now, like those in Micah's day, we need to do the hard thing and repent. Because he's returning soon. You know, Mark uh, 13, you know, uh, he's coming soon. He's this, we're going to see him in the clouds. He's going to return and we're not going to miss it. I believe we'll see him return. I pray we'll see him return in the church these days, you know, and it's, I mean, you know, the church is great and God's doing a lot of things in it, but man, I know God could do so much more um, in it and through it and through us. But even then, with these last days, I believe that we are going to see him uh, come back. You know, you know, if I die at old age and I haven't seen Jesus come back, I'm like, okay, well, at least I live my life for him coming back, but I, I, I really. I don't know how that's going to happen. The speed that the world is decaying, I don't know how that it could go that far. But God knows, and God's gracious, and God's merciful, right? But real quick, before we go on to chapter 7 and end, it says to do justly, to love mercy. And there's a lot of people out there who are called social justice warriors and just want to do the just thing. And even in the church, where the gospel is issued in favor of feeding the homeless. And, and it's good to feed the homeless. It's good to give them clothes. And, and I think those ministries are important. But I think a lot of the church today is so caught up in doing things without actually doing the gospel and sharing the true gospel. They sacrifice the truth for some feeling of justice. But when you read the news, and I read the news, and it begins to break your heart, do something about it. You know, there's something that I read recently about, you know, we all heard about human trafficking and anything, but it really, that's such a gross word because it's, it's not, I'm not going to use the right words because the kids are here, but you know, we, we see the, you get the X's on the hands and the bracelets and all that stuff and uh, whatever, that's fine. But I think when you really consider that it's, it ain't no X on your hand. It's awful. 
It's worse than you can imagine. If you begin to read about these things, that God begins to, whatever it is, whether it's that or whether it's another issue, whether it is the homeless, whether it is whatever it is, God begins to put it on your heart. Don't delay. When it breaks your heart, it's like we're, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but, you know, we're in worship last night, and I'm just like, I can't be joyful right now thinking about the things that I'm now aware of that have even happened recently. You know, I, you know, I just have to sing for them and worship for them because how can I be here and be all oh, joyful and knowing that these little children are being, you know, like hurt like this? How can we, and we go, oh, I just got an excellent, you know, let's really do something about it. Let's really get, give to where it counts. You know, I'm like, Lord, what are we going to do? And, you know, what can I do? It's like, almost like can't sleep. And it's like, just pray and then do stuff. Because it's like, otherwise, it's like, what, you know? I looked up the, you know, we gave some money to the ministry and I looked it up and I'm like, they showed you what it was worth. And I'm like, that's it? Like, that's all that's going to do? And it's like, I just like wanted to weep because it's like, I can't, you know, even if I gave everything I had, like it's barely going to make a dent in it, you know? And that's why social justice fails because it's like, it'll never get rid of it all. But you know what? The gospel will. You know, that's what one of the hardest one ministry we're looking at. Look it up. Uh, it's Agape International Ministries, AIM. They're in uh, 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 Southeast Asia, uh, Cambodia, I think it is. Uh, but they're out there doing this ministry. And what got me was because it was like, it was so like, they're working with the police and SWAT teams to actually go and stop this stuff. But they're also giving refuge and bringing the gospel to the neighborhood and giving life skills and places to live for these girls and these boys and even men that are in this, in this uh, system. But I loved it because I was like, I wanted to cry because they're like breaking this like door handle off to get in there. And it's like, yes, Lord, bring this justice. Get in there. Get them out. And like, you know, there's boots on the ground. And I think, you know, I don't have to stand on a soapbox for that. But if, that, if that's on your heart, to just do it. Just, you know, to not sit idly by and let this stuff happen because, you know, how could you? You know, like if it was my kids, you know, heaven forbid, you know, I'm gonna, you know, we'll get to it in a minute. Micah 7, 1 through 7. And sorry, we're going a little bit long here a bit. Woe is me, for I am like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes. There is no cluster to eat of the first ripe fruit which my soul desires. The faithful man has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among them. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net, uh, that they may successfully do evil with both hands. The prince asked for gifts. The judge seeks a bribe, and the great man utters his evil desire. So they scheme together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman and your punishment comes. Now shall be their perplexity. Do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. You know, Micah's looking around going, there ain't nobody left. There's no one left who's good. The judge is taking a bribe. People, kids are routing their parents for saying the right things. And it's no different than today. You know, these are unsafe days. China, talking about texting a friend over there. And the pinhole into reality as I look through the text message and I read the news and hear the news about uh, China basically making an emperor again and uh, taking away free speech. And now they can't even talk. You can't even make satire or jokes or uh, I forget the exact word of it. But it was like, 
you can't have comedy that makes fun of anything anymore because, you know, at least those in power, because it's dissent and they need to have this iron rule and it's being clamped down on the church. You know, oh, that can't happen here. It is happening here. I'll send you a couple of videos. Proof. It will happen with a final world ruler as well. It will not be safe. You know, and it, it is already getting to that point for conservatives as a whole. You're already labeled all these nasty things just for having an opposing viewpoint. But one day, Christians will be the only singled out group. And even then, I'll send you a video about uh, a person who went to England to, uh, like a reporter, to go cover this event, this free speech event in England. And she was stopped at the border. And they asked her, they brought her in, and eventually they told her, we're holding you here under a terrorist act. And they asked her, what is your religion? She said, Christian. They said, well, how extreme are you? They asked her, what would you think about, how, what do you think about a car plowing, plowing into a group of Muslims? She goes, what? What are you, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like this, and she's like, how, what extreme? Like, are you a fundamentalist? Like, what, what are your labels here? And they're like, well, we have to worry about them too. Another group that was brought in for a similar thing weren't allowed in the country. They were held for three days because they were coming in for this free speech event. They were held because they handed out pamphlets uh, about uh, Allah. You know, they, they were retorting. So there was this major news, you know, one of these liberal outlets that's popular with the kids put out this thing about Jesus being, you know, we, you know perverted. And so they came out one with about Allah being perverted and just trying to get reaction. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily condoning the practice, but it wasn't like, it wasn't hate speech. It wasn't racism. And they get held on this over there. You know, and I saw another commentary that said, is England under Sharia? Is England really enforcing blasphemy laws with keeping these people out? Because to a Muslim, that would be blasphemy. And yet, I'm sure the people who write the articles about Jesus would have no problem getting in. It's crazy. Christian extremists. Are you a Christian extremist? The U.S. Army had a document talking about the founding fathers and Christians being extremist terrorists. Think about it. You're opposing the government and you don't like the laws that they're putting on you. So you want to bring a change, but change isn't coming? You're a terrorist. You don't believe in unity? Not that kind of unity. You don't like the laws that are coming down? No, I'm not, not going to do that. I'm not going to condone that. Well, you're an extremist. You know me, so you're on a list. So, <laughs> But look at the laws that are being passed. They're throwing our freedom away. You're not going to be able to say what you want to say anymore. <laughs> they know what your text messages are. You know, like, I'm not saying that they're tracking you right now, but you know how easy it would be if they just all of a sudden want to start tracking a certain word? That's why my friend in China can't use certain words in emails. He has to use all sorts of code language so that their algorithms don't pick it up. I have to ask him, can I even, what can I say? He's like, no, no, this is secure because we have encrypted, end-to-end encrypted. So no one can read our text messages because if they read his text messages, he'll be kicked out. Or worse these days. Who knows he'll even be kicked out. Maybe he'll be sent somewhere else. And I, I text him and I worry. You know, even though I know it's safe, I'm still like, can these words that I'm saying to him, I'm still using code, because heaven forbid that I say something to him in my freedom and ability here, and he ends up going to jail. You don't think that's going to happen here, guys? I know you do. That's why it's, you know, you're friends with me. You put up with 
my harping on this all the time. That's why Micah says, therefore, I will look unto the Lord. Ain't no one else going to help us in these last days. Just the Lord. Friend at work might not be your friend too much longer when the law starts coming down. They may not want to turn you in, but they may feel like they have to turn you in to save their own livelihood. Let's read the last few verses. 15. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them wonders. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes to the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob, excuse me, and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. That even after all of this, God still promises to Israel that he's going to use them to confound the world. We see that in the last days, that he still uses them to show his mercy to those. He shows his mercy. He's like, God, they're going to be confounded. They're going to be in fear. Why? Not because God necessarily shows up with a sword, but because the God who can show up with a sword shows up with mercy. You know, who is a God that does this? There's no God on earth that does this. I would not show up in mercy, I don't think, if someone hurt my family. I didn't want to show up in mercy to the doorsteps of these people. They're doing these things. If you read the news story in, in UK about this, another disgusting word, grooming, it's not grooming. It's abuse. Horrible abuse I can't even talk about. And they catch all these guys and the courts say, oh, we can't really do anything about it. Like, it's not worth it. And, and it's, it's basically they're saying it's a different culture that can do what they want. And the victims don't get any justice. These guys get off scot-free. Oh, I read another article about a guy who was like raping a, a little person. And I was, oh, well, he didn't know it was against the law. And get him off. Like, and I've read about the fathers of these children tracking these men down. And they get in trouble. I don't care. I'll get in trouble. If someone does that to my family and justice doesn't prevail, well, heaven forbid. Ash will get a job and I'll go to jail. Because <laughs> I'm not letting my kids live their life knowing that they've been taken advantage of and no one stood up for them. Uh, you know, I, we'll see what time, you know, I want to be able to forgive that person, but it's for helping me God. Like, we've seen that, like I mentioned the other week about the fathers in Texas who were acquitted because they went out and took care of business on the people who they caught with their children. And of course, they said, yeah, of course. <laughs> we don't blame you. Not that justice needs to be meted out that way. We should have a justice system that works. And man's justice system should work that way. That's why God instituted government, so it's not a free-for-all mob rule, which is what we turn into nowadays, where people just cry out. and That's, that's why it's happening in England, because it's mob rule. And it's happening here. It's going to get worse, but you know what? They're going to turn to our God. They're going to see that our God is stronger, that our God is for us. But even then, you know, you, you wonder, how can God let this stuff go on? Well, God loves the person who's committing those crimes. God loves the person who's the abuser as well as the person who's abused. And, and I don't know how he does that. I can't do that. But he can. And that's why he's worthy of worship. Because at the cross, when he came down, it wasn't just for the abused. It was also for those who are really abused by their own sin. Or are captured by their own sin. Who are enslaved to their own sin. That we are all slaves to our sin without Jesus. Whether we're the victim or the abuser. In society's eyes, 
It's different than God's eyes. And he loves you. He's got a plan for you. And it's much greater than we can ever imagine. And starts and finishes at the cross. And God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this day that, God, you did die for us. And God, all the Bible is real. And we can put our faith in you because of it. Not because mercy is something that you give to us. Because it's, it's who you are. That, God, when we receive your mercy, we're receiving you. We receive your grace, we're receiving you. We're receiving your love, we're receiving you because you're love. And God, we pray for those who are persecuted. We pray for those who are enslaved, that you would get them out of that and get them through that. But God, in some ways, angry as I am and want to do unspeakable things to those who would hurt the innocent, God, I know that I'm, I'm just as guilty without you. And God, I pray just for grace and mercy on them as well, that they would come to repentance. And, and we know that, God, that that's the way that's really going to stop injustice on the earth is when you come back. God, everyone is clamoring for gun control and for everyone to turn their guns in and cut them up, but that's only making way for the Antichrist to come. But, God, when you come back, I'll gladly turn in all my weapons, and just like the Bible says, because we'll be able to sit under the tree and talk and not have a fear of anything because God will know that you're on earth. And, God, until that day happens, we've got lots to fear. But, God, we don't have to fear because we have you. So we trust you, and we ask that your grace would go out in your word. In Jesus' name, bless your people today. Amen.